Are you willing to examine the traditions and doctrines that you trust in for your eternal salvation? Welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I am Don Britton and I will be your host. I will be comparing the modern traditions and doctrines of American Christianity with what the scriptures actually say. You may be shocked to find out that much of what is commonly believed in American Christianity today is nothing more than myths handed down to us by men. So please join me now with an open mind. Well, I have a message today I think that's very serious. I think most of them are, but this one seems to really, this one's been working on my heart for about six weeks, and I couldn't get away from it. And it's really nothing new, but it may be a new approach to something we've heard before. What I want to talk about is the dangers of the world. It seems like we have a lot of issues keep coming up among us where things of the world are, are kind of coming into our midst. And I want to talk about more detail in that today. I, I, believe, I really do believe that the greatest spiritual danger that we're in as Christians are the influences of the world. And they're pressing on us all the time. They're coming at us from every direction. These influences are penetrating every aspect of our lives from A to Z. The ways of the world are predominant in our government. They're predominant in our school systems. They're predominant in the media. They're predominant in the entertainment world. They're predominant in the music industry. They're even predominant in our American churches. And what's sad is they also are predominant in our so-called Christian schools. So the pressure is on us. The pressure is on us to conform to conform to the ways of the world. They want us, the world wants us to think the way they think, to act the way they act. They want us to dress the way they dress. They want to influence us on how we should look, on how we should view ourselves. They want to influence us what to identify with in other words, rather than to identify with Christ, Jesus Christ, His sufferings, and the Word of God, and the Kingdom of God, the world wants us to identify with every kind of fleshly thing in the world, from superheroes, to beautiful queens, to handsome men, to fast cars, to worldly this and worldly that. The world wants us to imagine what is important that is to them, to it. The, wor the world wants us to change our value system and to lower our standards away from holiness and simplicity and purity to something less in order to be more acceptable to our peers that are of the world so that we can fit in with what everybody else is doing. 
That's the pressure. It's especially hard on young people if they go to school or they're trying to fit into society or find their way. It's also hard on adults that are trying to please their children and to look okay like being normal, as they call it, to their neighbors and to other people. Who wants to look weird? Who wants to look strange? Who wants to look like an alien or a stranger in the earth? But isn't that what we're called to be? A scripture that we've heard many times, and I hope that you really listen to it more carefully, don't be hardened to it because you've heard me read it or others read it many times before. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said this, He was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. He said, We must deny ourselves and take up his cross daily. That means every day we have to take up our cross because every day the world is talking to us. Every day our flesh is talking to us. Every day the devil is talking to us. Every day temptation is talking to us. That's why we have to take up our cross daily and deny ourselves daily and then, if we do that, he says, and follow me. You know what he's saying? You can fool yourself. You can go to Bible studies. You can pray and read your Bible and go to meetings. But if you do not take up your cross and deny yourself of worldly and fleshly desires daily, you cannot follow Jesus. So what is the cross for? Is it not for crucifixion? You remember what they did to Jesus? He was crucified. And we're told to crucify the flesh. We're told to crucify the ways of the world. We're, no, we're told to crucify worldly desires. We're told to crucify the things that we want to do that are against God. So how do you do that? You take that desire or that whatever it is, that sin, and you nail it to a cross. And you hang it out to suffer and bleed to death and die. You put it to death. It says in Galatians 4, in Galatians 5.24 it says, now those who belong to Christ Jesus, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now there's a lot of different kinds of passions. One of them is laziness. One of them is fear. One of them is selfishness. Another is greed. Another is passivity. Another is neglect. Not to mention all the different sinful ways we can sin, all the di many different ways we can follow the ways of the world, but those are passions and desires of the flesh that must be crucified. 
So, are these passions and desires that he is talking about, are they not the things of the world that we are to deny ourselves of by taking up our cross, putting them to death, and dying to them daily? So, how do we go about doing this? Well, let's begin with what Paul wrote in, to the Romans in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He said, and this is from the Amplified, he said, And do not be conformed to this world. Which means don't let the world influence you. Don't let the world give you the wrong mindset. Don't let the world dictate to you how things should be. Don't let the world tell you how you should look, how you should dress, how you should act, or what you believe. Don't be conformed to this world. And he says, in the Amplified, it says, any longer with its superficial values and its customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind. I heard people say this before, well, I just don't see that. Someone will point out something that's kind of carnal or questionable or dangerous or worldly or compromising maybe. And oftentimes the flesh will say, I just don't see that. Well, the reason why we may not see that, which is actually true, is because our mind has not been renewed. We must have a new mindset. And that new mindset comes by the Word of God and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God to open our spiritual eyes to see what's really going on around us. And unless we are seeking God to not be conformed to this world, and, be, and we're in the process of being transformed by the renewing of our mind, we will never see. He goes on to say, by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes. How are we going to see what's wrong unless we focus on godly values? Because if you focus on godly values, if you focus on the will and the heart of God pertaining to any situation and on ethical principles, then it's so much easier to see what's really wrong, even if it's subtle. And you do this, it says, so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in His plan and purpose for you. So, it goes back to this same thing I've said many times. Everything we need is wrapped up in a sincere, wholehearted, devoted, passionate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're going to be filled, if you, let me say this, if you are being filled by the Word of God through study, meditation on the Word, discussing the Word with other people that are in the Word, finding out what they're seeing, learning all you can, seeking God with the whole heart, if you're being filled with the Word of God and at the same time being filled with the Spirit of God, you will be receiving a new mindset. And it doesn't take that long to get a new mindset. 
you will be amazed if you're really seeking God and really receiving from God and really in a relationship with God how quickly you will be sensitive to the things that are carnal and worldly and fleshly and dangerous and ugly and wrong. And then with a new mindset you will have a new set of standards and a new set of values to live by, for your family to live by, for your children to be protected by, and for the body of Christ to be helped by. Also the Word of God will do the things that God promised it would, like in Ephesians. You will put on the full armor of God. You will have power against the flaming missiles of the evil one with your shield of faith, because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word. You will have the breastplate of righteousness over your heart. Your heart will be protected from the things of the world. You will have the sword of the Spirit by which you will be able to do battle against evil and lies and deceptions and falsehoods and temptations because you have a new heart and a new mind. 1 Corinthians 3.19 says this, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness, that is, in the Amplified, it says, absurdity and stupidity before God. For it is written in Scripture, He is the one who catches the wise and the clever in their craftiness, says the Lord. So to God, and I will say to the people of God whose minds have been, who have been renewed, to the people of God who have understanding, to the people of God are, who are filled with the Spirit and the Word of God, the ways of the world are absurd. They're stupid. They're meaningless. They're without profit. They have no value. They have no purpose in a believer's life. So, in 1 John 2.15, we're so familiar with this. We've heard it many times before. So please don't let your heart be hardened to this scripture because you've heard it before. But listen very carefully. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So, let me say it another way. Let me, let me give you my own amplified, amplified version of what John was actually saying. John could have written it this way. He could have said, Do not love the world of sin that opposes God and His precepts, nor of the pleasures that take you away from focusing on the Lord and His people, nor the obsession of the beauty of the earth or any heavenly body, nor the philosophies of men who don't know God, nor the so-called friends who don't serve the Lord, nor the things, other things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world and the things it stands for and the things that are in the world and the ways of the world and the pleasures of the world and the approval of the people in the world, the principles and the values of the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. This is a big thing 
We are so weak sometimes, so wanting to be accepted by the people of the world. We want to look normal. We want to be accepted in the realms we walk in, whether it's the kids in school, or it's the parents in the, in the, in the society relationships they have, or with friends of the world, or friends, worldly friends of the family. Whatever it is, we don't want to appear weird. We don't want to appear strange. We don't want to look like aliens passing through. So we make compromises to try to look, quote unquote, normal. But what's normal in the world is absurdity and stupidity to God. And it should also be to the people of God. So, 1 John 2.16 goes on to say, the next verse, For the, all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is, is not from the Father, but is from the world. So first let's deal with the lust of the flesh. Let me define what lust is. Lust is having a strong or longing affection or desire for carnal, physical pleasure. It's to have passionate or inordinate desire, especially for sexual desire. So to have strong desires for any sin, or for any worldly pleasure, or for any worldly type of approval of man, that is contrary to the nature and the will of God, is to have lust. Someone can have lust for material things, or lust for money, or lust for an, uh, you know, an image that they want to hold up that maybe is out of pride. There's so many different ways that we as humans can lust. But besides that fact, the world is full of every kind of lust and greed, which is idolatry. But here's something that we need to be especially concerned about. Our whole country, I say our whole world, is inflamed now with sexual lust, strong and passionate sexual desire, appetites for sex, for perverted sex, for every kind of immoral act, and every kind of sexual fantasy imaginable to man. In the last 50 or 60 years, there has been an explosion of these sexual passions and desires due to printed magazines like Playboy and others, and the invention of the internet, and the many electronic devices that are in the hands of virtually everybody on the earth, certainly in this country. Hollywood movies, and stories about what love is, and romance, and pornography, and, and, and all kinds of sensual stuff through music have supercharged the desires for normal people to commit sexual acts they may not ever have thought of before, at least not to the degree that they do now in our society. These acts are including things like fornication, adultery, homosexuality, incest, child rape, 
child abductions, kidnappings, rape and sex, sex trafficking, and violent sex crimes like those committed by Ted Bundy and others who have admitted that their crimes were influenced by pornography. So there you have, that's the condition we're in today in America. And parents, do not be naive with your girls. Your girls are 10 times more likely to be targeted by a pervert or someone who wants to traffic them in sex or someone who wants to kidnap them, kidnap them, rape them, and murder them. 10 times more likely with a girl than a boy. We should watch out and protect and keep them out of every kind of way they could be in danger. And we need to educate them and talk to them and warn them and prepare them because our whole society now is supercharged with sexual desire because of the reasons I just gave you. Don't be naive. Don't be asleep. So, now we're going to talk about the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes are having a strong and carnal desire to see anything that fuels the lust of the flesh, especially sexual lust of the flesh. And Satan has been very successful at using the media and social media and Hollywood and movies and pornography and music and music videos and all these things in order to influence our country to the shape it's in now and our church system, our American church has been influenced to cave in to these sexual sins that come through the eyes of the lust of the eyes of seeing things that shouldn't be seen. The fact is that most men and a high percentage of women who claim to be Christian are in pornography, they're in fornication, they're in adultery, they're, they're, they're having incest, child rape, and things like this are occurring behind the scenes. And if you don't believe it, just go look it up. Talk to a policeman or an investigator. Talk to somebody in social services. If you don't believe it's going on all around you, wake up. And what's even worse, the pastors, the shepherds, the spiritual leaders of our country, of the church system, are also doing the same exact things. Almost every day there's a report of a pastor falling from grace because he got exposed in some kind of sexual immoral sin with a congregation member or with a child or with somebody else's wife or whatever. Almost every day. And almost every day there's a school teacher somewhere in the country that just got caught having sex with a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 14-year-old, or 15-year-old. And sometimes it's women with boys and sometimes it's men with girls. It's all over the place. It's happening all the time. Our kids are not safe in public school. And it's like this because we've been supercharged with sexual images and perversion through the internet. 
We need to wake up, protect our children, and be aware of what's going on around us. Social workers are inundated with reports of children being sexually abused in their own homes. It's all over America. Satan has also used the social media and television programming to influence naive women and girls as to what is stylish or trendy in the world so as to show them how they should dress and be like everybody else even though so much of it is immodest. The scheme of Satan is to get women and girls to dress showing and wake up here as much skin as they possibly can, as much of the shape of their chest and their behinds as they, as they possibly can with their clothes, as tight as they can get a pair of pants on or a dress, and as much of their legs as they can possibly show while still saying they have on a dress or a pair of shorts. And they do all of this because the powers and the forces of darkness are behind it. They're fueling it to incite men to lust and to stir up and to destroy our country, our families, and our souls. Have you ever wondered why? If you even watch a Hallmark movie and it's just a romantic movie and there's no sex and there's no violence in it, but this is something that stands out. The men, it's usually like a Christmas story, the men are wearing a jacket and or a sweater, and the women are wearing a skinny strapless dress with their shoulders and their chest bare, and it's 35 degrees outside and snowing, and the women are wearing almost nothing, and the men are dressed because it's cold. And women are typically more colder natured than men, so why don't they show the, the women in dresses, I mean in coats and sweaters over their dresses, and the men wearing muscle shirts? Why don't they do that? Well, it's only because Satan is behind it, and he knows that the women are not going to particularly lust over the man in the muscle shirt. They might go, it looks stupid. But the men are going to lust because they want to see all the skin they can see. They want to see the tightest dress. They want to check out the shape, the size, the legs, the whole nine yards. Have you ever thought about it? I know I'm being pretty blunt. We need to wake up. So here's the, here's the bottom line. Girls, women, the tighter the clothes are on the chest and the behind and the legs and the shorter they are, the more chest, the more shoulders, the more skin, the lower cut, the shorter the dress, the more legs, that's being revealed. This is all part of the scheme of Satan to fuel the spirit of lust here in America. And we should not be a part of it. We should not be contributing to it. And ladies and girls, if you are, you're assisting the spirit of lust 
to cause men to stumble and to sin, and you're just as guilty as they are if you don't cover yourself up and dress. Parents, wake up. Watch what your girls are doing, how they're dressed, how tight they are, what's showing, what's sticking out, what's obvious. And the scheme is to promote the lust of the eyes. So, let us not be found guilty of contributing to this downfall. This is another reason why fathers and husbands need to be on serious duty to oversee their families and to guide and protect their weaker vessels, namely their wives and especially their daughters. And if a father doesn't see the danger, let him get some counsel from those that are older than, and those that do see. To say I just don't see it's not an excuse. If you don't see it, find out. Search it out. Research it. It's out there. You can find out anything you want to do. If you seek, you'll find. If you search, you'll be delivered to you. If you ask, you will receive. But to say, well, I just don't see that is not sufficient. See, the Holy Spirit was given to us to lead and guide us into all truth. All truth includes, all truth includes every aspect of our life, physical, spiritual, earthly, heavenly, all truth. And the Holy Spirit is what opens the eyes of men especially who are priests and shepherds in their home to see danger and to be aware of it and to teach and labor to protect their wives and daughters. The third part of what 1 John was talking about, first was the lust of the flesh, second was the lust of the eyes, thirdly is the boastful pride of life. Here's how the boastful pride of life works. It leads, pride leads to stubbornness. And that leads to resistance to truth, which is also foolishness and rebellion. Pride also includes the fear of man. What are people going to think? How are they going to look at me? How do they think, what do they say about us? That's all part of the boastful pride of life. It also leads to man-pleasing. In other words, out of pride, you try to make yourself look good. You want to make people think well of you. So you do what you can to make it work. It also, the boastful pride of life, leads to self-righteousness. In other words, you justify yourself by what you do to make yourself sound okay. So you convince yourself you're okay just like you are. Because you have resisted instruction, and you have resisted truth, and you are stubborn. The boastful pride of life also leaves one with trusting their own feelings and their own thoughts about things. Also, the pride of life manifests when you have the fear of correction, rather than receiving correction as a blessing from the Lord. 
The boastful pride of life is manifested with not getting counsel for wisdom and not seeking God, but ending up being independent, making worldly decisions. You see, the world is full of pride, and man basically thinks he knows better than God. 1 Peter 5, 5 says this, You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, clothing yourself with humility will take care of the problem of the boastful pride of life. So, if we went back to 1 John, and I, and I wrote it in my own amplified, amplified version of verses 16 and 17, it could read like this. For all that is in the world, the lust and sensual craving of the flesh that continually wants to experience something new. You see, this is such a big thing. Everybody wants to do something new. They want to experience something new, a new thrill, a new experience, see something they've never seen some before, go somewhere they've never been before. It's all about something new. This is the lust of the flesh. Always wanting to experience something new, something exciting. This is why kids experiment with drugs or sex or alcohol or they go somewhere they're not supposed to go or, or do some, some kind of dangerous stunt because they want to experience something new, something exciting, something different, something thrilling, thrill-seeking. Thrill-seeking is the lust of the flesh. And the lust and the longing of the eyes Always wanting to see something new. Always wanting to see something different. Always wanting to see something exciting. Always wanting to see something that's forbidden. And the boastful pride of life, which is the pretentious confidence in one's own resources or in the stability of earthly things, always reasoning to justify the reason the things of the world are not so bad, these things do not come from the Father, but are from the world. And in the next verse, in my Amplified, Amplified Version, goes on to say, The world is passing away. Along with its beauty, along with its philosophies, along with its pleasures, its excitements, its thrills, its lovers, and its friends, and with its lust, the shameful pursuits of ungodly longings, and the shameful pursuits of its ungodly people for friends and their approval. But the one who does the will of God and carries out the Lord's purposes with his life lives forever because he actually did deny himself of the world, of its people, of its attractions, of its pleasures, of its thrills, and of its super action heroes, and of its fantasy characters, and its deadly attractions. 
It's terrible what's going on in the, in the movie industry for our children. Action figures, superheroes, Marvel heroes, all of this is part of the great deception of the world to bring our kids into fantasies rather than keep them sober in reality. To let our kids attach themselves and their hearts to fantasy characters. And like in the old days, it was Superman or it was Batman. And now there's so many more, I don't even know the names of them because I do not keep up with them. To allow our children to be exposed to those things is only teaching them more falsehood, more fantasy, clouding their mind with nonsense, stupidity, absurdity, and not bringing them into reality about life and death and heaven and hell. And parents are supposed to be protecting their children from these things. So James chapter 4, verse 4, James said this, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So, the question I would pose is do we really believe that we must take up our cross? Do we really believe that we must deny ourselves? Do we really believe that we have to die daily? Do we really believe that we have to reject the ways of the world and follow Jesus with all of our heart? In Titus 2.11 it says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to everyone, instructing us to deny ungodliness and to deny worldly desires and to live sensibly and righteously and godly in this present age in order to not give into the influences of the world and in order to please God we must make sacrifices. This is the true test of the heart. This is where our heart is truly tested. Are we going to exercise our desire for the things of the world or are we going to make sacrifice? So let me talk to you about sacrifice for just a little bit. What is a sacrifice? Sacrifice is something that seems important or precious to you but that is given up for the sake of gaining something or allowing something to happen that is more important. A sacrifice is a loss of something or something you may just give up for the sake of a better cause. I did a teaching a number of years ago and on this marker board I had two extremes. One is completely pure and holy loving God with all your heart. On the other end of the board I had completely evil, full of darkness, and full of sin. And in the middle I drew a line down, the middle. And I talked about how that the flesh, when it's trying to serve God, will go as close to that line as it thinks it can and somehow be okay. Be right on the line just a few inches from the evil side, thinking that it's still okay. But God sees the motive of the heart. 
The only ones that are inherited in the kingdom are the ones whose hearts all the way to the left, all the way with God, with their whole heart, who are totally devoted to Him, who are not going to compromise with the world, who are not looking for a way to make the world work for them, not looking for a way to justify their actions with the world, but looking for only to please God with their whole heart. That's the only ones that enter the kingdom. That is the narrow way that leads to life, and there are only a few who will find it. Anything worth having requires sacrifice. Heaven is certainly worth having. But there's also, even the principle is true in the natural realm. If you're not willing to sacrifice something you love of this life in order to have something better, then you will not have it. You will not have the something better. Sacrifice is a principle that, that's even true in the, in the natural realm is as well as the spiritual realm. In the natural, we know that to get an education that you have to stop what you're doing, go to school, study hard, pass the test, and finish. And spend some money too to get the education. It's not just handed over to you. You have to sacrifice in order to get it. It's also true to get a paycheck that you have to sacrifice at least 40 hours a week. You have to do what your boss wants you to do. You have to do a good job and be pleasing to him and work hard in order to receive the paycheck. So you have to sacrifice that time, energy, and effort in order to get the paycheck. To have a successful business, and some of you are learning this and have already learned this. You have to sacrifice time from your family. You have to sacrifice rest that you could normally had, days off that you would have had, holidays that you would have spent doing things you want to do, vacations that you maybe didn't get to take, or recreation that you had to give up, or hobbies that you had to just forget about, or trips that you would have normally taken that now you can't or personal desires other than that, that you just had to let go. You had to sacrifice these things in order to have a successful business. And a simple point too to make is, and it says in Proverbs how the sluggard doesn't prepare for the winter. He sleeps through harvest. He doesn't sow in the spring. And then he's hungry in the winter. I'm old and Rita's old. We've thought about this and how the Lord has took care of us. It's the, we have to understand this principle is true here. To have something in your old age to live on, you must not spend everything in your youth or you'll have nothing. In the spiritual it's also true that you have to sacrifice your sins through repentance in order to be forgiven of them. You have to sacrifice being approved by the world. You know, it's so easy to want the world and your worldly friends and your worldly schoolmates and your worldly family to accept you and to approve of you. But in order to follow the Lord, you have to sacrifice being accepted by them in order to be approved by the Lord. 
You have to sacrifice laziness. Put it on that cross. Crucify it in order to have diligence. You have to sacrifice your pride in order to have humility. You have to sacrifice your time and energy, even when it's hard, to, in order to seek God, in order to have the truth and to have the Lord. You have to sacrifice your worldly pleasures in order to have peace and salvation. In other words, the gospel requires that you must sacrifice your very life totally to the Lord in order to have life. So the question I have is, how much are you willing to sacrifice in order to have what you want? And the next question, question is, what do you want? Do you want an excellent marriage? Well, what will you have to sacrifice in order to have it? Do you want children that are obedient? Well, what will you need to do as parents in order to have that? Would you like to have your family in order? What's it going to take? What sacrifices have to be given on your part for your family to be an orderly, obedient family? Do you wish that you were filled with the Spirit of God and you don't feel as though you are? What sacrifice would you have to make in order for God's promise to you to come true? Do you say that you wish you had more of the Word of God? Then what sacrifice will you have to make to know more? What will you have to do? It won't just come down from heaven and drop into your soul. You have to seek God, and that requires sacrifice. Do you wish you had power in your life and you feel weak and powerless? Well, where does power come from? The Lord is the one who, support, who supplies power. He's our source. He says, if you're, if you're the branch and you're hooked to the vine, you're hooked to the power source. So what is it going to take to get that power what sacrifice will you have to make to find power in your life? Paul said to the Corinthians, he says, when I come to you, I may not be what you wished, and you may not be what I wished. I'm not coming to hear the words of those who are professing to know God. I'm coming to see their power. So the Lord, can the Lord see the power in our life? Power over sin? Power over fear, power over selfishness, power over greed, power over laziness, power over complacency, power over doubt, power over fear. Does he see power in our life? Why not? If he doesn't, he's provided it. It says in 2 Peter that he's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. It's been granted to us. His divine nature has granted to us everything. We need to see this through. Everything. But... He goes on to explain the sacrifices that you must make in order to have it. So, do you wish to have victory over the sin that so easily besets you? Well, what sacrifice will you have to make?
Do you wish you had more wisdom? The Bible's full of wisdom. And there's a few people among us that have a lot of wisdom. Is there any reason why you don't have wisdom if you seek for it? But wouldn't that require a sacrifice on your part in order to gain wisdom? And what about love and faith? And what about the fruit of the Spirit? Isn't it also necessary to gain those things that sacrifice would have to be made? So, what sacrifices are we willing to make? Do we really comprehend the sacrifice that Jesus made of Himself? And how He called on us to sacrifice ourselves? First of all, He gave up His wonderful, comfortable, heavenly position and came to earth and was born of a woman and turned into a human being. Which means he felt the physical things, hot and cold and hunger and sleeplessness and tiredness that we feel. He was tempted, it says, in all things, yet without sin, like we are. He was misunderstood. He was rejected by his own people. He, there were made, several attempts were made on his life. He was hated and blasphemed and rejected by Israel. And then he had a few disciples. He did all this so that we could live. And then, at the end, they captured him and arrested him like he was a criminal. They tortured him. They forced a crown of thorns on his head, pushing down through his skin into his skull, which was extremely painful, bleeding. They beat him to the flesh of his back would expose his ribs. They smacked him and spit on him and cursed him. He was so weak from loss of blood and from beatings, he could not even carry his own two or three hundred pound cross. And someone had to help him do that. Then they drove these spikes through his hands and through his feet. And then they stood the cross up and they jammed it into the ground, into the hole they had dug. And he had his body jerked and writhed with pain. And he hung there in immense pain for a long time, for hours. And then they thrust a spear in his side. He died. So he could live. And then he asked us, he didn't ask us to go through what he did. Yes, he said, I want you to die to yourself. He said, just give up your pride. Give up your laziness. Give up your fears and complacency and selfishness, greed, lust. Give up your love of the world. Just follow me. If you'll just follow me, I'm going to give you something that eye has not seen and ear has not heard. It's going to be eternal life. It's going to be better than anything you could ever imagine. I'm just asking you just for a few years on this earth to be faithful to me. Give up the world. Quit trying to please the world. Just please me. <sighs> yeah, you'll be inconvenienced. I'll be inconvenienced. There'll be some things that'll be uncomfortable. 
But if we're not willing to be inconvenienced, or, willing, or if we're not willing to, to suffer a little bit, if we're not willing to be rejected by the world, or laughed at, or look stupid, or look like aliens, look like, you know, aliens are really weird looking creatures. They got these big, long, skinny bodies, and these big, round heads, and they got the great big eyes. They're weird looking. If, you don't, if you're not willing to look weird to your friends, then you're not worthy of eternal life. If you're not willing to suffer, you will never have Jesus. You will never have life. 1 Peter 2.11 says this, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against your soul. Well, there it is, the aliens and strangers. That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be different. We're not supposed to be like everybody else. Don't let me hear anybody say, well, we just, we want to do what others are doing. We want to do what everybody else is doing. We want to dress the way everybody is dressing. We want to act the way everybody's acting. We want to listen to the same music everybody is. We want to watch the same kind of movies everybody is. Really? Do we really? Are you just afraid that you won't look quote unquote normal? like the rest of the world? And parents, are you even more afraid that your children, will, your children will not be stylish or trendy in their dress or their values or their music or their entertainment because you don't want them to look weird like an alien or to look strange to their friends and maybe not be accepted by their worldly peers? Are you more afraid of that for them? I'm only asking, I'm not accusing, but this is a common problem, especially with moms wanting their daughters to, not, to experience all the things everybody else is, not be left out. Well, don't you think it's time that we were left out of some things if we're going to please God? Luke 13, 23, Jesus speaking. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. And he goes on and gives a little parable. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open up to us. Then he will answer and say to them, I do not know you or where you're from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. We went to Bible studies. We attended church. We read, we read our Bible. We, we had ladies meetings. We had men's meetings. We had youth meetings. And, and we did a lot of good things, Lord. We ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. We're familiar with the Word of God. And he, would say, and he will say, the Lord will say, I tell you, I do not know where you're from. I don't know you. Depart from me, you evildoers. And he goes on to say, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, 
but yourselves being thrown out. And you know what made the difference here? Loving the world, compromising with the world. Compromise is the pavement that paves the road that leads to hell. It's called compromise. And let me tell you something else about a standard. I think we all need to get on the same page in this church about standards. It's very confusing for one family to do one thing and another family not to do it. And it confuses the kids. We're supposed to be one voice, one mind, in harmony and in agreement. A standard is something that once it's established, you don't make an adjustment to it just because circumstances are different. In other words, if you're not, if you're not ever going to dress a certain way, you don't change it because there's a dance or there's a, a special event. You don't change your standard. Your standard should always be the same. Otherwise, it's really not a standard. It's just a good intention that you can adjust when you want to, which is the way of the world. So, I think we need to think about this. John chapter 12, verse 25, Jesus said, He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. So you've got to hate your life in this world. You've got to hate this world. You've got to despise the ways of the world. You've got to despise the influences of the world. And if you do that, then you will save your life to eternal life. He says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So this is the gospel that we should give ourselves completely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. To follow Him and to obey Him with all of our heart all the days of our life and endure to the end and then we can be saved. Thank you for listening to the Great Deception Podcast. You may visit my website at www.christianmyths.org for more information, for my blog and for my email address. You can also get my book, The Great Deception of American Christianity Without Christ, on Amazon or on my website. Also on my website, you may download two free chapters of my book. I hope you join me next week as we continue to examine The Great Deception.